In 2018, Cranfield Alumni held its annual conference at HSBC in Canary Wharf, London. The conference theme was Inclusive Talent Management Towards a New Norm. This podcast is the edited discussion of the second session called Engaging Men as Allies. That's brave for people to call behaviour, particularly if someone is more senior in the organisation. But be prepared to do that in a non-confrontational way. We move the world forward, we advance things by having a conversation. How to engage men as allies was discussed by Professor Kim Turnbull-James, Chair of Leadership and Executive Learning at Cranfield School of Management and Andy Wood, OBE-DL, Chief Executive of Adnams PLC. Let's hear from Professor Kim Turnbull-James. I'm going to be interviewing Andy Wood, um, who is the CEO of Adnams. He did his doctorate at Cranfield. So I'm going to get Andy in a minute to talk a little bit about Adnams and what they do, but you will know it if you drink beer. You definitely will know it. Mm-hmm. And you will definitely know Adnams if you're interested in sustainability because that is one of the ways in which Adnams has been really different in that market space, um, winning Queen's Awards for sustainability, as well as their beer, as well as the other things that they have in their portfolio. And I don't think that you can do that kind of work if you're not a values-led organisation. And that's really, I think, where Andy comes in to this space for, for this, this sort of discussion. Why don't you just start by saying a bit about what you do at Adnams and what you, kind of challenges and agenda is going on for you at the moment? Yeah, OK. So, um, first of all, it's great to be here and, and great that we're having this discussion, although I did observe to Kim, it's a real shame in 2018 that we're still having to talk about gender and we aren't talking about talent. Um, But hey-ho, this is where we are. So what's my company? We're a a mid-cap company, so we do have a listing, but we're also uh, significantly family-owned as well. We're a veritable old company. We've been around since 1872, formed by two brothers, George and Ernest Adnams, and my chairman is still an, an Adnams, Most of that time, a sort of male-dominated organisation because it works in the most of uh, male of industries, which is brewing beer. Uh, So we brew beer, we actually distill spirits, we run pubs, and we're operating at the moment in the sort of white heat of competition. So we have global giants stalking the earth. So AB InBev is a £71 billion global corporation brews three in every ten pints of beer consumed on the planet. Um, And then you've got a microbrewer on every street corner. So we've got massive consolidation at the top of our market and massive (coughs) fragmentation at the bottom. And we're caught somewhere in that uncomfortable middle. How do we develop and grow our business? Well, we have to do things very differently. Um, There's a distinctive quality to the products that we make, I'd like to say that but also the way in which we develop talent. And I think the way that we've taken this agenda on as an organisation, being this sort of 146-year-old company, male-dominated for most of that 146 years, I'd like to think we have moved beyond this gender discussion, but I'm the CEO, I see the world through rose-coloured 
spectacles. But we are a 600-person organisation, not a 60,000 or 80,000 or 600,000-person organisation. So I can almost get my arms around it. Um, our, our main board is 40% female. I think many companies appoint non-executive directors who are females. But actually, the guys, the guys are still running the show. Um, but we have females who are running bits of the business as well, so that's important. And our senior leadership team, or our ex-co, is again 40% female. And that's not really been a conscious decision other than truly allowing talent to rise to the surface. So that's our story and where we are. And So Andy, I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, the women in the organisation. Mm. And... Um, I mean, Sheryl Sandberg has famously talked about women need to lean in mm. and women have to be at the table and they need mm. to really step up. And I wondered to what extent you think that that is really important in your, as you've described, quite a male-dominated business mm. originally. I mean, have women had to be really courageous and, and done that leaning in piece? Does that happen in Adnams? And mm. is, is that what is yeah. going on? Um, we have uh, one woman in particular who, as long ago as the end of the 1990s, lent in, shall we say. And she has become a role model for every other female <coughs> in the organisation. Mm. So if I tell her story, mm. and if you'll indulge me, uh, not long after I joined Admins, we then still had petrol pumps on our premises and people with company cars could pull up at the petrol pump. And uh, This lady came out to fill my car up with petrol. And uh, as you do when the car's being filled up, you start chatting. And this lady told me a story that uh, she was a single mum, had two children under about six yeah, two children under six at that time. Uh, she was going through a divorce because her husband had, had left her. Uh, she'd, she'd been sacked from Her Majesty's Armed Services because that was in the day when a woman became pregnant in the services, actually they had to leave. And she was taking the armed services to court over this. So she was taking them on. So that in itself told me this woman's got some get up and go uh, she's fitting in work with all that she's doing with young children then we started to explore some more and it, it turned out that she was when she was in the armed services she was a senior non-commissioned officer in the royal logistics corps and um, it was a bit of a risk for me at the time i was new to the organization as well but as soon as i had a vacancy um, in our logistics organisation, I asked Karen to do a better role, a bigger role. And Karen, uh, what, what, all I could do, it was her talent, her tenacity, her drive, her skill. All I could do as someone more senior in the organisation is create the right space and environment and let her fly. So Karen was a part-time office cleaner when that conversation took place. And today, she's our chief operating officer on the PLC board, was the CBI's East of England Businesswoman of the Year back in 2011, 12, um, was in that close to becoming UK Verve Clico Businesswoman of the Year, 
and just has done something amazing. And she bursts through the glass ceiling and just shows to every other female within our organisation, but also inspiring to others, that this can be done. And I think she, more than anyone, has done something really powerful for females in our organisation. But I come back to, it's not the fact that she's a female, it's that she's a very, very talented person um, and has done what she's done. And she sits on boards of charities now, um, she's a speaker about these issues, and she's the most down-to-earth person. And whether it's a lorry driver or a waitress in one of our pubs, they all relate to her. And, and that's the power of what can be done with this if you unleash talent in this way. And I guess the key thing there is that you had that conversation. And the world's about conversations, isn't it? I've just told a story. We move the world forward, we advance things by having a conversation. Mm. And um, I was struck by what you were saying. You know, we can have all the technical reports and, mm. and as males we li- might like to sort of approach things in let's get the wiring diagram right, but ultimately it's conversations mm. that, ad- that advance the cause, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So she had something to offer. You heard her story. So there was the importance of having that conversation. And then she really took on board the opportunities that you you gave her. Absolutely. I guess that for quite a lot of women, that's quite a daunting story because, you know, you obviously opened up a space for her that was Mm. going to be highly visible. You're a small organisation. You'd Mm. given her Mm. these opportunities Mm. and that's Mm. quite a daunting space, but she really wanted to Mm. step into it. Mm. I think that also says something about the culture and we might want to come back Mm. to talk about the the culture at Adnams. I wonder to what extent in in Adnams you have done the... Um, equal opportunities, processes, procedures, flexible working, and whether that's really going beyond the minimum that really is required. Do you think that makes a difference for women in, in the organisation? I think we, you know, all organisations, and I think the bigger organisation and the more bureaucratic the organisation becomes, I think you do have to have policies and procedures. But I think if you relate to talking about policies and procedures, you've failed in Mm. some way. And it's a failure of your culture to recognise talent. So whilst they're there as a backstop, Mm. actually the sort of thing that should be dealt with Mm. further downstream is do we have the right culture? How things are done around here? What is the the in-the-corridor conversation or standing over the Mm. water cooler conversation? And is that still um, cliques or tribes? Or are you starting to break that down? And that's what we've tried to do. But it's not something that you can ever say you've completed. Mm. You've got to continually keep breaking down the cliques and the tribes because we're kind of, you know, social tribal animals, aren't we? We kind of like to get into our tribes. Mm. We've got to recognise that you've got to break that down. Yeah, So the obvious question is how? It absolutely needs... I think the thing that... This needs buy-in right at the top of the Mm organisation and not lip service. Yes. It needs demonstrated. So (coughs) if we're not talking about this subject, but but if the CEO says, my door's always open, but the artefacts that surround that individual and there's a raft of personal assistants outside stops people getting to you 
then you might be saying those things, but your behaviour mm. is saying something completely different. Yeah. And I think we have to hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, OK, I might be saying this, but um, are my behaviours allowing this to happen? What signals right. am I sending yeah. um, non-verbally to the organisation? Yeah. Really important. But I think at every opportunity, championing diversity, whether yeah. it's race ethnicity, disability, all of those things, the CEO and the senior team really have to buy into this and yeah. not just give it lip service. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think really struck me was how you have a core set of explicit values mm. and really refer to those in your decision-making. Mm. I mean, I've worked with some clients where you say, well, you've got corporate values, and they go, oh, yeah, better look on the website mm. and see what they are. Mm. So maybe it's worth just saying a bit about that because that seems to very much tie into, you know, what does the Exco do? What's the, what is this sort of breaking up the inequities? What, what drives your team to, to make a difference in this well, way? Well, I, I think it comes back to, you know, what is business about? What is business for? Mm. And, and, of course, at one level, it's to generate wealth, it's to generate returns for shareholders. But it's also... Um, the role that business plays in community mm. is really, really important. And um, if you start to ask those questions and um, you start to espouse a set of values, a purpose and, around that and a set of values, it means that if you're sincere about them, you've got to live up to them. And, uh, you know, I've worked in big organisations as well and, and, you know, part of my formative years were in a much, much bigger organisation. And it had corporate values and it had posters on the wall and we all got a little card to put in our wallet and uh, the letters of our values were six feet high in the foyer. No one ever talked about them. Mm. Uh, you know, what is that if it isn't just a pointless exercise? So how do you bring values to life in real and tangible ways and and does the senior leadership team live up to those values? Critically important because, you know, people look for those signals. Mm. They look for those signals. And it, 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 is, is the behaviours supportive of those values right. or not? So we're listed. We have to do all that good stuff around, you know, making sure we're getting a return on our investment and we use our internal rate of return and our discounted cash flows and all of that. But we also ask ourselves the question when we're making these investments, do they stand up to the scrutiny of what we say is important? And I think that's critical. Yeah, and you do that explicitly. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. And, and we make that explicit. We, mm. we have to lift the corporate veil twice a year to tell our shareholders what's gone on at the full year and the, and the half year. But we meet our shareholders, we invite them in to kick, kick the tyres on the business, to go round and meet our staff to hear how it really is round here. The chairman and I meet them for a cup of coffee at, at the start of the day. But it's actually saying to our shareholders, too, that these are the explicit values of this organisation. Mm. And, you know, although we're talking about it positively, the corollary of that is... If you don't buy into these explicit values, then you might want to be a shareholder somewhere else. Right. And that's a brave thing for organisations to Indeed. do. And so what about your middle managers? Because um, 
What often happens in organisations is that uh, Exco can understand the uh, real business case for diversity. It's part of the sense of what they're about and their purpose. But when we work with women, they say, what you really need to do is bring my line manager in and work mm. with my line manager. And mm. often women experience that as a real block mm. to um, really moving forward. So they can have a lovely conversation with you. Mm. But what happens when they've got a line manager who has perhaps a, a different view about... Um, how the organisation works. And, and, th and this is getting down into the meat of the business or organisation. And um, you have to call the behaviours. Years ago, we, he, he wasn't a board director. We had a sales director who was making budget, making profit for the organisation. But every time he came in, body bags were left all over the place, you know, males and females. Mm. And what do you do? Do you sweep that under the carpet or do you have that difficult conversation? Mm. And this is where the values piece comes in because if you're not prepared to have that difficult conversation, this is one of the subconscious signals that you send to the organisation that actually, although Andy or the board are saying this, actually if you're getting away with it, you're getting away with it and yeah. it, they don't really mean it. So that's important. The other thing is to make sure that that talent is coming through and make sure you've got a balance of males and females in your middle management cadre. Mm. But it's about calling these behaviours and, and not standing for behaviours that are contra to what you say are important. Do you explicitly train your middle managers, your line managers, and to think about changing their practices and how they do their recruitment we or do. their uh, promotion, we do. And some of, reviews? We do, Kim, and some of the most difficult um, ones we've had is, you know, we, we have a fundamental belief in growing our own talent, but also bringing in talent. So we've recently brought people in from some of our competitors. We've recently had someone join us from Tesco. We've had someone else come in from a startup. And they bring their view of the world. And it's how do they fit into a sort of atmosphere around this particular planet and how do you allow them to have the right trajectory, you know, entry into the atmosphere mm. um, without them hitting it at the wrong angle and bouncing off? So that's something that we're working on. So if you think someone joining our organisation from having worked in Tesco, and that's no reflection on either organisation except that the cultures are very, very different, how do you have that conversation? Mm. And you sit down and you have to spend half an hour or an hour talking about these issues right. you have to put the miles yeah. in yeah you can't just expect people are going to absorb it by osmosis because that doesn't happen you've got to be explicit about yeah it. yeah although if they did observe it they would walk around your place and observe managers being um you know if you walk around yeah. everybody calls you andy everybody knows yes. you and i think the yeah. same is true of all your managers yeah. It's, yeah. it's a very different culture than many yeah. people but yeah. they may not be that observant <laughs> no no but you know it's it's when the going gets tough mm. it's when the month's figures or the quarter's figures haven't been so good do people then revert to type those are the testing times yes. when the going gets tough. Yeah, yeah. So if you were looking ahead, so there's some things that you've done. What are the things that you've omitted to do that you should be doing? And what are the sort of challenges that you would see 
in improving still diversity in your organisation? So there's two questions in one, really. I'd, I'd never be arrogant enough to sit here, and I think any, any CEO or senior leader who's saying that they know it all or they've done it all, that, that's probably the time to sell your shares in the organisation. Um, we're constantly learning. We're still not as great with recognising that being in leadership roles doesn't have to be a full-time role and designing roles that suit people who want to work in different patterns, and that can be males mm. or females, mm. because there are some males who want to work different patterns mm. as well. Do men take at flexibility opp- opportunities? No, and not as mm. much as they could. Mm. Not as much as they could. So we've got to be better at that. We're just going to test this, because we're just going to have Victoria Savory, who's a very talented um, leader within our marketing organisation, is just going to rejoin us after having her third child. I mean, can you more imagine how organised this person needs to be? She's got three children under six. Her husband's uh, got a very senior legal role. But it's going to be great to have her back. The organisation needs her desperately. So we've got to organise ourselves yeah. to allow her talent back in. Otherwise, we just lose that. Yeah. And I can't afford competitively to lose talent or leak talent in any way because yeah. I'm in that squeeze middle and I've got to do things differently. I think that sounds like the key, isn't it? You've got to do things differently. Exactly. So what do you think the challenges are coming up? Are they the same? Is it You, said, you started off by saying, you know, we're still talking about gender. What, what would we be talking about if we were having this conversation in a couple of years' time, do you think? I, I, unfortunately, I think we'll still be talking still, about gender. Yeah. I think there's some great work going on, the work that you and Sue have done here at HSBC. But I was with our bank yesterday and our managing director who looks after our business within the corporate bank uh, told me that at her level in that bank, she's the only female. Mm. So we've got to keep edging this agenda forward, but I suspect we'll still be talking Mm. about this in two years' time. Do you think clearly there's a, there's a real difference in the kind of organisation where you've got 600 people or 80,000 people? You know, do you think what you've made possible is only possible because you're a small organisation compared with that? Or do you think there are lessons for the HSBCs of this world, the Tescos of this world and so on, to learn from the kind of things that you've been doing at Adnams? I, I think there are obvious benefits because of our scale. And we don't have the international overlay on this as well. So I guess if you're running a global organisation with operations in sub-Saharan Africa, in North Africa, in South America, in Asia, there's the cultural overlay on that as well. Uh, So I think that's important to take into account. The sheer scale, you know, this is the size of a continent, really, uh, that you're trying to shift But equally, someone who's running a 600-person part of this organisation could buy into it and change their 600-person part or 500-person part or 300-person part. So I think it's it's, you need to drive it down really deep into the organisation and capture those people as well. And, And do that in a positive way because it's been a wonderful experience. You know, I'm here today talking about this because of the things that people like Karen Hester did. It's a wonderful experience. Our organisation is a much more vibrant place for it. And I think 
every organisation could be like that. So let's ask them what their questions are for you in terms of making their organisations like that or learning from this experience. Thank you. Um, thanks, Andy. Um, Sue Round uh, from BP. I was just noticing when you were talking about Karen, so a great story, the words you used to describe how great she was, which uh, I, th- I wrote down, I may have heard what I wanted to hear, but I, um, you talked about get up and go, tenacity and drive. Yeah which for me are in the category of agentic behaviours. Okay, but very By which common. I mean those that would normally be ascribed to men. Mm-hmm. And when um, you talked about think leadership, think male, I, I, I was just interested that that seemed mm. to resonate mm. with that. Mm. So what I, the question is, is this the only way women can break through by being like men? My other question would be, um, therefore, what else did Karen bring that is the talent that you described that doesn't fit into that? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very, very fair question. So with Karen, and it, it, it has been interesting over the years, we had to do, Karen and I had to work together because there was initially around her, uh, and I don't use this term pejoratively, but there was a bit of Queen Bee syndrome. So actually, I've been very successful by behaving a bit like a male and actually if other women want to get on in this organisation they've got to behave like that so I think you're absolutely right in in some of the language that I use to do that but what other things does Karen bring to the party is an absolute razor sharp intuition about people she actually understands people she knows how to motivate people she can press hard buttons and soft buttons to, to move things forward. So it's that absolute insight that she brings around developing her own people and moving them forward. Later on, following on from Karen, and once we overcame the Queen Bee conversation, our leaders then in the female cadre are actually able to display their softer skills and, I, and I'm absolutely with you. We don't want women believing that to get on in any organisation you have to behave like a male. What we want is authenticity out of all that. You know, and what, what have we done? We, we invested, uh, if you take the revenue we lost from it as well, we spent £6 million refurbishing a hotel last year. That's run now by a 26-year-old female. And... That is absolutely brilliant. And the way in which she can interact with customers and the intuition that she has around customers. So there's a much more insightful element that Karen and other females bring because us blokes like to look at the world in a different way. So I hope that answers your question. But it was a good call. Thank Thank you. Hi, uh, my name's Sarah Hembury. I'm a Cranfield alumna from the 80s and um, I run my own um, leadership uh, coaching consultancy. Actually, it's following on from the last question. Um, I'm curious about how having grown the proportion of females um, within the organisation has allowed men to demonstrate their more female attributes... (laughs) So I'm just wondering how the presence of women has um, changed the way that men have and are behaving. 
I think that is best answered really by saying that it shifted the culture. It's absolutely shifted the culture of the organisation. It's inappropriate for blokes to talk how blokes talk in our organisation and behave how blokes, when it's just a room full of blokes, behave in an organisation. And that's whether females are present or not. So there's a much greater consciousness around all of these things now in our organisation as a result of growing a cadre of female talent. And it has absolutely shifted our organisation. So I suspect, I hope we are, better at serving the customer um, because our, our culture has shifted. I hope we are more empathetic with our staff. I hope we're more empathetic in our supply chain with our suppliers because our culture has shifted significantly. Hello, I'm Victoria Eckhart from the UK Civil Service. Um, I was interested to hear your reflections on the male-dominated culture and your reference to those water cooler and corridor conversations. Do you have any examples of how the language of those conversations reflected the culture as it was? And how did you go about empowering people to call that out? So, so um, the question is, do I have any examples of what the language was? Um, probably not that I'd be prepared to repeat on a microphone um, in front of 100-plus people. Um, but it was blokey. It was exclusive. So 20 years ago, it might have been about golf courses and football. Today, it's probably about road bikes and lycra. Um, and we have a fair fair few mammals, middle-aged men in Lycra who work for us, um, but it was those exclusive conversations, and those exclusive conversations lead on to an exclusive language in the company, and, um, you know, talking about your golf handicap is a metaphor for how powerful you are, and how competent you are, and how technically correct you are. Now, we mustn't overplay those things and we mustn't be so politically correct because I think that's equally as damaging. But we need to allow those conversations to be open, uh, to allow... How many times, as, uh, as a woman, have you sat in a room when the meeting's convening and blokes are talking about things that only they can talk about? It happens, and that excludes people, and we need to break that exclusion down. And how did you empower people to do that, do you think? Um, really by supporting people who were calling the behaviour. That's brave for people call, to call behaviour, particularly if someone is um, they're more senior in the organisation. And it has to be that you're prepared to do that. But be prepared to do that in a non-confrontational way. Not to undermine the complainant, but also not to undermine the person who's being complained about but have that very adult-to-adult conversation rather than a, a parent-child conversation where we as the corporate entity don't want you to behave like that. So it, it's about adult-to-adult -adult conversations and that's how you shift the dial and that's where we started really about conversations. And I'm staggered at how often the difficult conversation is avoided it's okay talking about the hard numbers. It's okay talking about the tactical aspects. Managers still do not discuss behaviour as much as they should. Thank you very much. Okay. Hi, Andy. It's Bill Bourne. I did an MBA. God, 
back in 2000, so it seems like a distant memory. But um, it's well really. Done, Bill. <laughs> um, that was interesting just to have a look at your gender pay gap. And it's that's huge. telling a slightly different story with yeah, a 63% bonus pay yeah. gap, 70% men in the yeah, upper quartile. So, so, what tangible measures are you taking to address that, and how much importance do you attach to your gender pay gap? We do think it's a bit of a crude instrument, and I'll tell you because I think our gender pay gap may get worse at the moment. Why is that? Because I have lost two very senior females in a 600-person organisation who've gone on to much better jobs where they're going to earn more pay somewhere else. So I think that's a really good thing. But I also thought, oh, shit, that's going to publicly move the dial on my gender pay gap. We're absolutely committed to closing that over time. We've got to get our pipeline of talent, female talent, moving much quicker in our organisation. But in a 600-person organisation, if I lose a couple of people who are earning six-figure salaries, but they're going on to better jobs, that's a tick in the box for us, I think, because they've made a great contribution to us. They're going to go on and develop their careers. They're going to take some of the sort of purpose and value stuff that they've learned with us and they're going to change those organisations but it's going to make a mockery of my gender pay gap but it's something that we have to have what's been really helpful about the gender pay gap thing is it's got us talking about it and, and thinking about doing something about it before the legislation was passed before we had to report it the conversation wasn't taking place so that's really important so I haven't given you a definitive answer other than to say it is a bit of a crude instrument, but we've got to do something about it. Okay, thanks. Quick comment. Um, I just wanted to highlight one of the points that Andy made, which I think is really important about grow your own talent. And I just want to say that there is increasing evidence that at the senior levels, women are finding they've got to move organisations mm. in order to get promoted. We're seeing that in FTSE 250 companies women just below the executive committee level are leaving in great droves. It is a big worry. So for me, the issues are different at the different levels. At the board level, it's kind of really, I think, broadening our definition of talent so that more women who have, and women are much more likely, by the way, to have multiple sector experience than men who are more likely to have deep corporate career experience... I think to have multiple sector experience, fabulous for boards because you bring that whole wealth and depth of experience from different sectors. However, it's really educating chairman of search firms to be much more informed and understanding of the kind of experience they bring. So when Andy talks about growing your own talent, it really is, I, I was going to ask you sort of, how you keep an eye on, are we really growing our own talent? Because it's just in that process, it's actually really keeping an eye on the underrepresented groups such as women because we just get overlooked that bit more. And I don't know whether you consciously look at that, Andy. We, we do. We have specific schemes that we have to make sure that talent is advancing. I have um, breakfast with a cross-section of the organisation a couple of times a month. And the feedback from uh, females is they are feeling that they've got 
an opportunity now to ad mm. advance in our organisation. And they're not only looking at Karen, they're looking at other uh, role models within there. That's important. One of the things that also came out for us, though, is we've got lots of young people now in our organisation. And it's this sort of intergenerational inequality. There's a, an Oxford geographer called Danny Dawling who's doing a lot of work on intergenerational inequality. And that's something we have to be mm. mindful of as well because it's got young men and it's got young women in there. I think hand on heart, we're advancing the careers of more women than we are men at the moment. Well, I think the story that you told about your marketing manager coming back to work after a third child and how you're, it's important for you to make the space, whatever that yeah. means, yeah. to enable her to do that. Yeah. And that's a really important part of keeping people because that's yeah. a very attractive yeah. proposition, employee yeah. proposition, is it yeah. not? Yeah. But I guess that part of it is also, and I did ask you the question, do men do flexible working or take their paternity leave and so on? It's also seeing that the career route is not disadvantaged if no. you're treated no. slightly differently no. because of your personal circumstances. No, quite right, quite right. And um, I, I also subscribe to what was Sue was saying about this notion of a non-linear career, mm. either getting cross-sector or even cross-organisational. And in an 80,000-person organisation it will have been like working for different businesses. So I think valuing that is really important as well. Mm. We've just promoted a under 30-year-old Romanian lady to run our retail business. We're really excited that she's going to make a real difference there and turn the dial, mm. and that's good. Mm. And she's replaced a male in that role, uh, and that's fantastic for us. What I really appreciate, and I, I've known Adnams through Andy a little... <laughs> And it really, I think, is an interesting organisation. And I, what I always notice when I've been there or I've talked with Andy, it's this whole idea of being in conversation, being connected to people, being connected to their landscape, being connected to their community. So if you know anything about Adnams, all of these values that Andy has talked about are expressed not just inside the organisation, but with their contractors, with the way that they engage with people in the locality. And I think it really does speak to a change of culture. And when I talked earlier this morning about it, we can do the complicated stuff, it's the complex stuff that we need to do, right deep into organisations... One of the things that I really wanted to talk about with Andy, and we have done so, is that you actually need to change all those micro things that are happening, changing the culture, calling out the bad behaviours, speaking to those, supporting people who do, supporting people who want to move on, making space for difference to blossom. And uh, so, Andy, thank you very much, thank because you. it's a really brilliant example of what is possible. So thank you. This podcast on inclusive talent management towards a new norm is the edited version of the Engaging Men as Allies session at the 2018 Cranfield Alumni Conference. You can find out more about inclusive talent management and Cranfield School of Management at cranfield.ac.uk forward slash SOM. You can also find out about Cranfield's alumni benefits at cranfield.ac.uk forward slash alumni.